Thank you for your giving to Lottie Moon. You'll notice that our goal has been met and exceeded, and we appreciate your generosity in that. Uh, You can still give. Today is the day that we want to officially close out any promotion of Lottie Moon, uh, but you are still free to give if you so desire. If you're a guest of ours this morning, we've been in a series on the Ten Commandments. And this morning, we're looking at the fourth commandment that pertains to the Sabbath. And we're going to talk about that today and modern-day applications for that. I do want to mention to you, as, as I get into the last point and the applications about uh, keeping the Lord's Day... All along the front of the church, don't get up to get it now, but all along the front of the church, I have given you a page with what I'm going to go over. The reason I'm doing this, as you see it on the screens, it's going to be too much for you to keep up with writing. And I want you to listen instead of having your nose buried trying to write. Uh, So you don't need to fret about trying to write all that. You can just simply get a page uh, afterwards, and I would encourage you to do that. This morning, we want to look at the subject, Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. You'll recognize uh, that, uh, those words out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. Jesus said, Come unto me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I want you to listen with me. Verse 8 of Exodus 20. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, He rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart. As holy. I want to begin this morning doing a little bit of review. Uh, We have noticed already in the study of the Ten Commandments that they can clearly be divided into two sections. The first section deals with God and our relationship to Him, the second section deals with with man and our relationship with others. It may also be said that the commandments show two basic things, reverence for God and respect for men. Men know in their hearts that there's a God. He has revealed himself to man and we are to love him with every fiber of our being. And man is also to understand the value of human life. Human life is created in the image of God. 
And we are to respect human life and value human life and treat others as we would have them treat us. Without a manward look, faith would become mere mysticism. Without a Godward look, faith would become man-centered and can suppose that man is the measure of all things. And so reverence for God and respect for man can never be separated. Someone once said, but aren't the, and and people continue to say today, but aren't the Ten Commandments, Old Testament, we're under grace, not law. And you would be absolutely correct. However, the fact of the matter is, in the New Testament, all of the Ten Commandments are repeated in some way. And oftentimes, they are made even stronger. For instance, Jesus said, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, if a man even looks upon a woman with lust in his heart towards her, he's already committed adultery in his heart. Folks, we need to understand that keeping the Ten Commandments does not save us. Does not justify us in the sight of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 verse 20, Through the keeping of the law, no one will be justified in the sight of God. The Ten Commandments are not a giver of life. They are a guide. For life, They were to show how God's chosen people were to live their lives after they were already in a relationship with Him. Now what do the Ten Commandments do? Well, James says that the Ten Commandments are like a mirror. You look into a mirror and you see your flaws. But the mirror does not correct your flaws. Well, the law of God. We look into the commandments of God and the commandments don't fix anything. They don't make us right with God. But the commandments show us how far we have fallen from God's glory. Paul said in the book of Galatians that they are like a schoolmaster, a tutor leading us to Christ. And then lastly, just by way of review, I'd like to say that the commandments point out the grace of God in Christ. Christ is the only one who never sinned and he never broke a single commandment. And he went to the cross and he died in your place and he bore your sin and your guilt. Now so far we've looked at three commandments obviously. Today we look at this fourth which is the longest, by the way, the longest, and maybe one of the most misunderstood. You've probably heard a lot of jokes related to the fourth commandment. I've heard a lot of jokes related to preachers. 
Uh, there was a preacher one morning who got up, just didn't feel like, it was a beautiful spring morning. He didn't feel like going and preaching. He called his association. He got a supply preacher. He went in his garage and got his golf clubs, put them in his car, and drove to the next town over. And he began to play golf. And on the 10th hole, he teed up and he hit a drive like he'd never hit in his life. He drove it 380 yards. It bounced up onto the green, it rolled, and dropped into the cup a hole in one. He'd never made a shot like that in his life. The angel Gabriel looked at God and said, God, what are you doing? This man is neglecting his responsibilities this morning to come and play. God looked over at Gabriel and said, Gabriel, think about it. Who's he going to tell? So you may have heard a lot of jokes about things that happen on the Sabbath. Now actually folks, this Sabbath command speaks volumes to us about keeping a proper balance in life. It points out that God and work and rest are all important. Some people want to work all the time, some people want to play all the time, some people want to rest all of the time. And all of those things reflect a life that is out of balance. Well, let's move on and settle a few things by way of background up front. First of all, what was the Sabbath? The Sabbath was a day of rest the seventh day of the week. The word Sabbath literally meant to stop, to cease, to rest. And it was based on God's creative act in the book of Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2, how God created all that is in six days and he rested the seventh day establishing a pattern for man to follow. It was from sun up, uh, excuse me, sundown on Friday until the same on Saturday. From 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. Now today, if you go to Israel, they still follow that schedule. One of the most beautiful places that we visited while we were in Israel was a resort hotel at the Dead Sea, one of the most beautiful hotels and settings I've ever been in in my entire life. It was gorgeous. And we were there over the Sabbath, which meant that the elevators stopped on each and every floor so that nobody had to push a button and violate the Sabbath. I heard one pastor talking about his trip to Israel and in the lobby there were two elevators. There, there was the Sabbath elevator. It was the Sabbath day and, and there was a long line to get on that elevator and the other elevator was operating just fine. And they said, who's that for? And they said, oh, that's for Gentiles. And so he took his kid, wife and kids said, let's get on the Jesus elevator since we're no longer under law but under grace. He got on the 
Jesus elevator, as he called it with his, with his family. And he said, he noticed all of a sudden that all those Jews in line for the Sabbath elevator had packed onto his elevator. And he wondered what was going on. And they started saying to him, could you push button number one? Could you push button number four? Could you? <laughs> We as Christians don't worship on the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath and the Lord's Day are not the same thing. And I trust that you know that. So why the difference? Why do we as Christians worship on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week? Well, we see this pattern shifting in the New Testament. The early Christians worshipped on Sunday, the first day of the week. Why? Because they were remembering what? You know what it is? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 15, the Sabbath was not listed among the things that Gentile Christians were to do. In Acts chapter 20, we see Christians meeting on the first day of the week to break bread. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul tells the church at Corinth... To follow this pattern. That on the first day of the week when you meet for worship. Paul instructed them. Put a material offering away for the support of the poor back home in Jerusalem. And so he's, he's reminding them just what their pattern has become. They worship on the first day of the week. The church father Ignatius. Who along with Polycarp. It said was discipled uh, by the apostle John. Uh, Ignatius was able to write by the end of the first century. That Christians no longer observe the Sabbath. But direct their lives towards the Lord's day. On which our life is refreshed by him and by his death. And so my point is that even by the close of the New Testament, we see what Christians were doing. Christians were worshiping on the first day of the week, the Lord's day. And they were doing so because of the resurrection. Folks, think about it. What a tremendous evidence this is for us. Of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think about it. The early Christians. Most of whom were Jews. Until we get on later in the book of Acts. The early Christians who came out of a Jewish background. And had worshipped on the Sabbath. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Were all of a sudden changing their day of worship. From the seventh day to the first day. What could explain something like that? The resurrection. The change in the day of worship. A tremendous evidence for us. Of the reality and the validity of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love what the famous Bible scholar and theologian B.B. Warfield once said. He said, and I quote, Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him and brought the Lord's day out of the grave with him on the first resurrection morn. 
That's a great statement. Under the old covenant, the people of God were to observe the Sabbath, while under the new covenant, we see the pattern again being changed to the first day of the week. Now, we also see that the New Testament writers condemned those in the church who were still trying to insist that Christians had to worship on the Sabbath. Paul in Colossians 2 says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Well, does this mean that this commandment about the Sabbath has absolutely nothing to say to us today? No. Absolutely not. It speaks volumes to us even today. And we're going to see some principles that apply to us. Some very important principles. We're going to see how in His great mercy, God has given us a rhythm of work and rest with six days for work and one for rest. Now let me also say up front, I like to give credit where credit is due. I've got lots of wonderful books on on Exodus. But I do want to say this morning, I'm I'm very much indebted to Dr. Philip Ryken of Wheaton College. In his book on Exodus, the chapter on the Sabbath, one of the best I have ever read in my entire life. And so I... I would commend his book to you. And some of what I'll say this morning comes directly from that chapter. Well, first of all this morning, let's get started. Let's look at the command. The command. Look again at verse 8. He says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by doing what? Keeping it holy. What were they to do, first of all? To remember. To remember. Remember the Sabbath day. It may not initially seem that man can keep this commandment and be very productive in his life. Or maybe not as productive as he could otherwise be. When billionaire Bill Gates was asked why he didn't believe in or why he doesn't believe in God, he said, and I quote, just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more that I can find myself doing on a Sunday morning, end of quote. But whether efficient or not, God commanded it. As I mentioned earlier, this is the longest commandment and we're told what to do, how to do it, and why. They were to remember the great acts of God. Even before the Ten Commandments were given, God showed them in their journey to the mountain that He had given them manna to eat during six days and on the seventh If they went out and tried to gather manna, they wouldn't find any. The Sabbath day was a day that they were to reflect on creation 
and then God's deliverance of them. It was a day whereby they were to stop and they were to remember that they were not like everyone else. They belonged to God. They were God's chosen people. And so on the Sabbath day, they would stop and reflect on this. There's a Hebrew scholar, wonderful commentary that I'm, I'm reading that Dr. Patterson's let me borrow in his collection. A Hebrew commentary on this. He makes note in that that none of the other nations around Israel had a day like this. It was a very special day that was given so that they could remember they were not like other peoples. They were not like the pagans. They were not like the nations around them who served false gods and idols. They belonged to God. God had created them and God had redeemed them. And again this was a chance for them to be a peculiar people in that regard. And likewise we today have the Lord's Day where we should remember all of this and I'm going to talk more about that later. But remembering was to be more than just remembering and then going on about their business. What does he go on to say in verse 8 they were to do? They were to keep it holy. They were to sanctify it. They were to set it apart. In other words, there was a special engagement involved in remembering the Sabbath. By way of analogy, think of your your anniversary. When you remember your anniversary, you don't just say, oh yeah, it was yesterday or tomorrow and go on about your business. At least I hope you don't, right? (laughs) Guys, you're in trouble if you do that. What do you do? You get flowers, you get a card, you make reservations at a nice restaurant. In other words, you're engaged in remembering that special day. And that's how they were to be with the Sabbath. Total engagement. The day of worship and rest was to be a special day. It was for their benefit. It is for our benefit. They were not to make it just like any other day. It was different. It was a holy day. Now secondly I want you to see this morning. The Sabbath was an important transition between days of work. They were to work six days. It was their duty to work. It's our duty to work. Many people today have negative feelings about work. People today tend to look at work as a necessary evil. It's something I got to do just to pay the bills. Folks, that's not how work is to be. By the way, work was God's idea. Work was not the invention of the devil. Work goes back to the creation narratives in Genesis 1 and 2. And we're made in the image of God. We serve a God who works. Jesus in John 
uh, 5 verse 17 said that God is still working. He said, my father is always working and so am I. Now, it is true that our work has been made more difficult now because of the fall. God told Adam in Genesis chapter 3 that his work now would have a tedious and difficult element about it. But again, God created man to work. And this design carries over into the New Testament. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul tells the church there, If a man will not work, he shall not eat. The book of Leviticus calls the Sabbath day a day for a holy convocation. In other words, it was to be a day of corporate worship for the people of God as well as a day of rest and reflection. And then according to Luke chapter 4, we see that Jesus continued this pattern. Every Sabbath day, Luke says in Luke 4 that Jesus, as was his regular custom, would go to the synagogue to worship with God's people. Now, this led the Puritans to call the Sabbath the market day of the soul. The other six days were for commerce, market trading out in the square. But they said the Sabbath is a day in which we transact our spiritual business trading in the currency of heaven. Now to demonstrate how serious it was in the Old Testament, let me, let me give you an occurrence out of the book of Numbers. You remember in Numbers 15, there was a man caught gathering firewood on the Sabbath. You remember what they were to do to him? They were to take him out and stone him to death. Then over in the New Testament, remember the ladies who were going to anoint the body of Jesus for burial? Uh, they waited until the Sabbath was over before they continued that labor of love. The Israelite parents were to teach their children the importance of corporate worship and rest on the Sabbath. Again, it was something that distinguished them from unbelievers around them who would treat the Sabbath as though it was just any other day. But they were to make sure they didn't do that. It was also a day that included everybody in their household, whether extended family, whether, whether servants or whether even animals. Because animals, if you'll remember back in ancient times, like mules and oxen were used for labor. And they were to make sure that even their animals had a day of rest every day. The Sabbath was to be for them a gift from God. As they reflected on their time in Egypt, they were in slavery in Egypt. They were under bondage. They had cruel taskmasters. They had to be making all of those bricks and building those storage cities for, for Pharaoh. 
And while they were in slavery in Egypt, they probably got no time off whatsoever. The Egyptians ruled over them ruthlessly seven days a week, 365 days a year, and they never got any rest. And so they would see that the Sabbath now was for them a gift of God. It was a testimony that they were no longer under bondage. They were now free. Now, we're going to see more on that later when I talk about the Pharisees and what they turned it into. They made a new bondage out of the Sabbath. A day intended to celebrate their freedom, they made it a bondage. But the greatest reason they were to remember the Sabbath day was not practical, but theological. It was based on God. Now the Bible tells us that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's always watching over us and watching over creation. And yet again in the creation narrative, God worked six days, rested the seventh, to establish a pattern for men to follow. He did not do that for himself He did that for us. And so again, being made in the image of God, we see in Scripture how God set this example. God set an example, a rhythm of work and rest. And He intends for us to maintain that rhythm. And then we're told in the creation narratives that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Do you realize in the Old Testament the first time that the scripture says God blessed anything was when he blessed the Sabbath. So again, not just practical but theological why they were to keep it. Now thirdly, I want you to see the Sabbath day was not meant to be a straitjacket. By Jesus' day, the Pharisees had turned the Sabbath day into a new kind of bondage. Now let me explain some of the background here so you'll understand why they did that. One of the reasons why God said he was sending his people into the 70 year exile is because they had not kept the Sabbath and they had not even let the land have a Sabbath. You see they were to even let the land have a time of rest. Farmers today acknowledge the wisdom in that. They rotate their crops and give certain portions of the land a period of rest. Seems like modern day science is finally catching up what God's told us all along. The Pharisees, after they came back from exile, and then they got into that period of time between the Testaments, the 400 silent years, where we see the group known as the Pharisees came into existence and prominence. They wanted to make sure that all of the sins that Israel had committed, Israel and Judah, that had sent them away into exile, they wanted to make sure that that didn't happen again. And so they wrote all kinds of traditions and laws that would go along with the law in the Old Testament. They became obsessive with this. 
They added more than 1,500 regulations that went along with keeping the Sabbath. Can you lift your child on the Sabbath? Yes, but not if your child is holding a rock. Because if he's holding a rock, then you will be bearing a burden on the Sabbath. Can you cook on the Sabbath? You ladies will love this one. They said no. Can you untie a knot? Only if you can untie a knot with one hand. If you use both hands, you're working. What if you come across somebody and a stone wall has fallen on them? Well, you can uncover them enough to see if it's a Jew or a Gentile. If it's a Gentile, just leave them there and they're suffering and go your way. But if it's a Jew, you can uncover him... uh, but if he's got like a broke leg, you have to leave him there and broke. You can't set his leg. That would be mending. That would be breaking the Sabbath. You have to come back the next day and, and fix him, try to heal him. How about your mule? You've got your beast of burden and you've come in from a long day of work out in the out in the fields and he's got this burden on his back and the Sabbath is about to begin in a few minutes you're later getting in than you realized you would be but you let him bear that burden that weight over the Sabbath and you're going to be making your animal work but if you get down underneath him and untie the straps and take the burden off of him and you can't do that before 6 p.m. then you're going to be working And you're going to break the Sabbath. So they came up with little fanciful ideas of what they can do. They can get down underneath and unloosen the straps. Get that done real quick. And then just leave him alone. And hopefully just as the animal is moving around it will fall off. They've gotten silly with their travel. You couldn't travel very far. And so what did the Pharisees do? Well... I'll go over to Joseph's house and I'll stop in there with him and fellowship for a few minutes. And then I'll, I'll go to Jacob's house. And they, and they would divide their travel up in little segments like that. So it would fit in the distances that they were allowed to travel. They had done all kinds of silly things like that. They entirely missed the point. Jesus told them man is not made for the Sabbath, but rather the Sabbath is made for man. The Sabbath is a gift. In other words, the Sabbath day is not more important than human life. Man is not to serve the day as if the day were some kind of God or idol. The day was rather given to man to help refresh the man. And so Jesus had to teach them that it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. And he would heal people on the Sabbath trying to demonstrate that. Some of the biggest confrontations that Jesus had with the religious leaders was over doing healing miracles on the Sabbath. In fact, it was because of breaking the Sabbath rules and claiming to be God that they determined in their hearts that they were going to kill him. So again, they'd made the Sabbath a straitjacket. 
something you had to serve rather than a day that helped you. Let me go over some applications for today. And this is what you'll find on this page that I hope you'll pick up. First of all, Jesus has given us a greater deliverance than they experienced in the Exodus. We no longer look back to the Exodus under Moses. We look to the Exodus in Christ. He's delivered us from a greater bondage, the bondage of sin. And so we look to him for rest for our souls. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He alone gives rest and freedom from the bondage of sin. All of the work that men and women do to try to earn God's favor will not work. Christ alone gives us rest. Rest from all of our attempts to justify ourselves in the sight of a holy God. And also, we look forward to a future rest. The book of Hebrews talks about this. That there is yet a rest coming for the people of God. Speaking of heaven. And so the hope of heaven and forgiveness of our sins and being made right with God is only found in Christ and the work he did on the cross for us. Amen? That's the greatest application for us today. We have a Sabbath rest in Jesus. Secondly, You are to work and rest. The Sabbath rest goes with work. We are to keep life in balance. Somebody said today we work at our leisure and we play at our work. And that's not God's plan. God created you to be productive and work. Your work is sacred. But he also created you to stop and rest and be refreshed. Again, he's the one that established this pattern. And folks, God's work is greater than your work and my work. His work in in creation and redemption. And Jesus, think about it, he only had three years of his public ministry. And yet, what do we see him doing? We see him resting. Your work and my work is not greater than God's. Don't be so vain as to think that you can't follow this pattern. If God rested, you and I can rest. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament, it is vain to stay up late and to rise up early. It's vain. It's vain to think that you and your work is so important that you can never stop and be refreshed. It'll also catch up on you health-wise. Somebody else once wisely said, if you don't come apart, you will come apart. A Dr. Basil 
uh, excuse me, Dr. Hagler out of Basel, Switzerland years ago did a study of oxygen in the blood. And he found that every day of work, there's a little bit more of oxygen depleted in your blood than can, than can be replenished in a single night of rest. And so taking a day in a week to rest replenishes this oxygen in your blood. Again, medical science finally catching up to what God said all along, right? You got to love it. Third, be careful that your form of rest is not counterproductive. For some, on their day of rest, they like to go for a hike. Some people like to have people over and entertain. Others might like to go into their garage and do some woodworking. Others may enjoy going to grandma's house. The church should not be legalistic and pharisaical trying to regulate what people can and cannot do to relax because what relaxes one may not be what relaxes another. But what we all must do, however, is to make sure that our rest is not exhausting. If you get to the close of your rest and you're more tired than when it started, that ought to be a clue to you that you're missing something. Fourth, the New Testament reminds us that all days are holy. In the Old Covenant, they had the Sabbath. In the New Covenant, we have the Lord's Day. But remember, one day is not more holy than the other, as the Apostle Paul teaches. All days are to be used for God's glory, not just one day. But I do want you to realize this. In calling it the Lord's Day, the early church was making a point. Whereas the Lord's Day included rest, a priority for the Lord's Day was to include worship and service of Almighty God. This is a great reminder for us today. When we typically view church as something that we quickly get out of the way so that we can hurry and get out of church and go and do whatever we want to do. We ought to be reminded that it's the Lord's day. It's not the Lord's half day or the Lord's quarter day. It's the Lord's day. Mark Dever of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in D.C. reminds his people, they all encourage their people that that Afternoon and evening of the Lord's Day is a great time to catch up on your Bible reading and to read something that is spiritually challenging to your relationship with God. And that's a good reminder. Fifth, employers who have control over this issue to make sure that they give their employees a day off from work. I can't help but think of of Chick-fil-A and how God has blessed that company because in this world of dog-eat-dog competition, businesses think if they close a day, they're going to miss a dollar. But guess what? If everybody closed a day, nobody would be missing a dollar, right? And think about it. They close when their competitors stay open. They still do better than their competitors. I can't help but think that all of the stress 
in society today and the health problems that go with it are related to the fact that we are a 24-7 society and we never relax. I mean, think about it. Even on a daily basis, it gets nighttime. Ancient men, what they do? They went to bed. Thank God for electricity today, right? Aren't you grateful for electricity? But what do we do today because of electricity? It gets nighttime and we stay up. Some people stay up half the night and only get a couple hours worth of rest. We are a 24-7 society and we are paying a huge price for it with health-related stress problems. So if you have the power as an employer, make sure your employees are getting a day where they can worship and rest. Next, if because of your work and circumstances beyond your control, you cannot have the Lord's day to worship and rest, make sure you have another day. I'm speaking here to people that the matter is out of your control. Have a day where you come aside and you put down your to-do list and you come away from the frenzy and you find ways to feed your soul. Next, Remember that even though we don't observe the Sabbath, but the Lord's Day, just as the Sabbath was to be a day for holy convocation, God says in the New Testament, by way of command, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. I said earlier, the Sabbath observance would be a day that would set the Israelites apart as being God's own people. In the church, corporate worship is a day we come together and it shows how distinct and different we are from the world around us. God is worthy of our worship. There's a story about a Dr. Robert Rayburn that was approached by a beggar out on the street. And this beggar needed some money. This doctor reached in his pocket and he took out seven $1 bills. He kept one aside. He handed six to the beggar. The beggar took the six, punched the doctor in the face, grabbed the seventh, and took off running. Now, what do you think about the beggar? Do you see him as a scoundrel? Then what do you think about a sinner saved by grace that God has given you six days to do your work, but you cannot even find time to give him one day? Dr. Philip Ryken makes an excellent point here. He says, our problem is that we find it so hard to take genuine delight in the sanctified pleasures of God. He said, dare I say it, God bores us. And if God didn't bore us, maybe we wouldn't find it so difficult to worship Him and serve Him. Resting also reminds us that God is in charge. God can be trusted. 
What did Jesus say? Do not be anxious about the daily necessities in your life. God created your life and he can be trusted to take care of the lesser things of your life. You can trust him. Eugene Peterson who wrote the message once said, Nothing less than a command like this has the power to intervene in the vicious, accelerating, self-perpetuating cycle of faithless and graceless Busyness. Just one more and I'm going to stop here. Take a page from the Puritans. On Saturday afternoons and Saturday evenings, they would get all their cooking done for the next day, all of their washing. They would try to get everything done So on the Lord's day, they could get up and go to worship and worship God and serve Him and spend the rest of the day relaxing and visiting with family so they would not have to be worried about the daily necessities of life. Get it done Saturdays. Folks, do you need this morning... To come to Christ. Somebody that I'm speaking to is still thinking you've got to work to be accepted by a holy God. You today need to find your rest in Jesus Christ and come to Him. You'll find rest for your souls. I want to ask everybody to evaluate how you use the Lord's day. The rhythm of work and rest that God has built into the week. And when it comes the Lord's day, worship and service and rest. Are you keeping that balance? Does your life show that you are different From the unbelieving man in the world. If it's normally out of your control to come to corporate worship. How can you make some adjustments so you can still have a day to do what God instructs you to do? Would you stand together? Father, we thank you for being such a kind and gracious and benevolent God and giving us a day that we can give you the glory that is due your name. Because the Bible instructs us we're not only to privately worship you, but we are to corporately worship. And it is to be a distinctive of your people, that we obey you in that regard. Lord, help us to make the adjustments that need to be made so that we can use the Lord's day as you intend it. And I do pray for that one that today needs to come to Christ because they've been trying to climb their way up to you with such great effort and it'll never work help them today to trust in the work of Jesus 
so that they can in turn rest. In Christ's name we pray.